Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bruise Banana FC podcast. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. If you haven't already listened to our Chelsea review episode, stop what you're doing. Go ahead and listen to that because we had a lot of fun laughing at the state of Chelsea. And if you are like most Arsenal fans and like to you know, revel in the state of you know, clubs like Tottenham and Chelsea, we definitely did that for 30 minutes. But today we are previewing our matchup against Newcastle on Sunday who are absolutely flying right now, have won eight of their last nine, and in the last three matches have scored 13 goals and just conceded three. Sometimes, you know, in the schedule, you catch a team at the wrong time, and this match against Newcastle kind of is setting up to be like that. With me today to break down what has changed for Newcastle of late, how we should go about breaking them down, is Luke, who you can find on Twitter, at Nuke. Luke, sorry, how are you? (laughs) Yeah, not bad, mate. Very well, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing all right. Yeah, you know, it's a Friday afternoon here, and yeah, beautiful day so far. Yeah, so since we last played them, Newcastle, like I said, have clicked from an attacking standpoint. Luke, let's go ahead and really just dive right in. What do you think they have done? Is it as simple as having their star striker or their, their star summer signing finally settling in, returning from injury, and kind of catching a good run of form? Yeah, I definitely think that's a big factor, to be honest. Like, Isak has been really impressive since he's kind of really hit a groove over the last month and you can really see like um, Eddie Howe compared him to Henri and whilst I wouldn't really go that far you can still see like like the way he runs at the ball uh, the the close control the dribbling he has and, and the fact that his goal output uh, feels like it's really improving from his time in the league and with Sosh- uh, with Dads. and also I think um, when you're able to bring a strike off the bench like Callum Wilson who is you know a Premier League goal scorer in pretty much every sense of the word then that's really good as well. I think Callum Wilson scored the most goals of any player in one month in, in the Premier League history last month. So, um, uh, so obviously that's something that that they're able to do. Like when when something isn't working, you can bring on someone like Callum Wilson. It's kind of be a positive. And I think, as you say, they have really clicked over the last kind of month or so. They're scoring goals now. Um, uh, Jacob Murphy's coming to the team a bit more, and even he's contributing. So I think probably the big thing for them is is that it feels like their fringe players weren't contributing as much earlier in the season. And now they're coming into the team when they have to, and actually, you know, doing the business. Yeah, they have Callum Wilson. Like you mentioned, he has 15 goals. Isaac is now on 10 goals. Miguel Amaran, he has 11 goals. So they do have a very potent attack. And like you said, Callum Wilson's coming off the bench. And that is a pretty uh, a terrifying proposition, especially because Isaac and Callum Wilson do offer very different things. I think, what Isaac has, what he does so well is pick up the ball and dribble with it. We, we also had that goal against Spurs where he ended the career of you know Eric Dyer and multiple <laughs> other Spurs players. And that's, I guess, just a very unique proposition for a striker. Obviously, there's a lot of dribbly wide forwards, but somebody who starts from the central, comes wide, receives the ball, and then you know, progresses it with their feet. I can see why you know, Eddie Howe made the Thierry Henry comparisons. Obviously, it is a bit of a stretch. How do you think you know we match up against a Ford who kind of does play that way and, and is so effective off the dribble? It's it's tough because obviously we know all season they've been really defensively resolute. They're really good at home. They only lost one game at St James's Park all season, so I think that 
one of the big things, um, even from without even going to a tactical perspective, we have to match their energy because the energy is what really kind of picks them up at St. James's Park. And that's what we saw last season when we effectively went to St. James's Park and our top four challenge diets because we went there low on confidence with a heavily rotated team and they pretty much just trampled all over us. So while I think that there are certain tactical things that we have to look at, like trying to stop Trippier getting the ball up, because he feels like he's the heartbeat for them. Obviously, Bruno Guimaraes as well has been um, uh, really, really influential in how they play. If, if you can if you can stop the ball going to those players and stop them hitting us in the counter much, then um, then we have a much better chance. But the, the energy will be the main thing. We have to stand up to them in the one versus ones. We have to stand up to them in the duels. Uh, we have to make sure that we kind of don't make the mistake we've made in recent away games, like at Anfield, where we started well and then kind of let the crowd get back into it. We have to try and quiet that same Jesus Park crowd down and try and look at like recent games, like even the Southampton game where Newcastle ended up pretty comfortable winners. Like for that first 45 minutes, they looked pretty vulnerable. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not we can take part of that, like what Southampton did to hurt them and whether we can implement that into our style. Also be interesting to see how they react now because at the moment they're sitting on, I think they've got about um, a six-point gap on Liverpool with a game in hand. So it's looking at this point in time that they're going to get top four fairly comfortably. Like, are they going to take their foot off the gas? Are they going to see that as, as an opportunity to really kind of cement that play? So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I think the biggest thing for us is we have to see it as an opportunity to show that we're a different Arsenal than we were last season because of the reasons I said before. Uh, we went there last season at the end of the season after the Spurs loss and we pretty much just capitulated in front of them. So if we can go there now and take the three points, then it kind of it's, it's a good kind of landmark to say that we're not the same as we were. So in the uh, press conference, Mikel, Mikel Arteta kind of played down the whole revenge narrative. Do you think that, I guess, he should kind of, you know, behind closed doors talk about that? Because it is, even though he said, it, you know, the, it's a different team, a different set of players, the core of the team and a lot of the players are the same and kind of still have that scars. Do you think that's something that he should, you know, kind of bring up and use as motivation or again, kind of similar to conversations we had in the past about Arteta's experience at Anfield and not really projecting, you know, bad experiences onto the players kind of being what he said outwardly of saying, oh, you know, that was last year. This is this year. Kind of what, how do you approach that all, the whole like revenge factor? Yeah, I think it's an element to be honest. I don't think it's something that Arteta can, would want to avoid to be honest because this is the same guy that used uh, an Ivan Tony tweet to try and um, g the the players up to to go against Brentford. So, and and that was a very different team. I think the majority of the players that played in that return match Brentford probably weren't the same players that played in the the, the reverse fixture. So I, I think you know when he's in press conferences, it's a different Arteta, isn't it? He's going to be a bit more coy. He's going to be a bit more kind of cards to the chest. But behind closed doors, he's going to be saying to these guys. You got to remember what happened last season, and pretty much we um, we just kind of died in that game. Like as much as um, that Spurs game felt like the big turning point, the the final nail in the coffin was Newcastle. It was the the, the point where we knew if we won that game, we still would go into the Everton game um, being able to to kind of with, with our destiny in our hands. And we knew that um, we had to win that game, and we pretty much went there and got trampled over, as I said before. So. Whilst I do think that, you know, revenge maybe is the wrong word. I think it's it's more, the revenge maybe is more on the previous Arsenal team, the team that went there and, and wasn't mentally strong enough, wasn't physically strong enough to implement what, how we want to play. I think that 
you have to kind of look back at the words that Xhaka said after that game where he was pretty scathing of the whole team. Um, and I think he was bang on with that entire kind of monologue because at the end of the day, as bad that Spurs loss was, as I said, our destiny was still in our hands and we didn't take advantage of it. Now, our current situation is that the, the likelihood is we're not going to win the title, but there's still, you know, there's still a chance there. But it does feel like if we weren't to pick up three points in this game, then it could be the the final nail in the coffin of our title charge as well. So I think that almost kind of gives it a little bit more importance as well. So let's let's talk, I guess, about how Newcastle are going to set up. And in the reverse fixture, they were extremely combative. They kind of weren't really even playing football. They, they were fully intent on not scoring and doing whatever they could to reduce the amount of time that you know the ball was in play. I think it's pretty obvious that given where they are now, they're not going to be as aggressive in you know their time wasting and, and they're not going to sit 10 men behind the ball, but they still are going to be very combative, combative. And that comes from their midfield three. I think that if, you know, if we were to get a repeat of last year, it's going to come from their midfield being able to physically dominate, you know, just not, I guess physically, but you know, not just like with a power perspective, but, from an intensity perspective. And I guess that brings into the conversation of where do we go with our, our, our midfield? Jorginho obviously had a, a pretty good game in the last match, but again, that was against Chelsea. He had, you know, he was kind of had that internal motivation going against his old club. And also Chelsea are just terrible. Newcastle are, are far better and far better in midfield. And is, I guess there obviously is there then that concern by starting Jorginho. He just is not going to be up to it from a physical perspective. And we will get run, or I guess we won't, there's no guarantee, but it's it's much more likely that we would get run out of the park by playing Jorginho at the base of our midfield than Thomas Party. Kind of where do you fall on that? Thomas Party has been pretty bad, bad, yeah, straight up bad in, in <laughs> the last month or so. Yeah. But it, it, it's a big call, I guess, kind of the physical profile sounds like it fits better, but I wouldn't be shocked to see Jorginho fall, come back in just because of the control and kind of, Maybe that's the way we neutralize their combative, their combative midfield is just by being able to hold on to the ball more and not turning it into a track meet. And that, that is what Jorginho offers. Yeah, I mean, I think it is one of those calls that that the game really does hinge on, to be honest, because <clears throat> as you said, party has been really, really poor recently. And uh, we don't know if that's form or we don't know if that's injury-wise or fitness-wise. And uh, it, it's, it's tough because... You're right in saying um, that uh, Jorginho was really good in the last game. And we could kind of take that and try and use that as like a technical base to build the game off of and say we're going to implement our style technically and try and win the duels kind of in other places. Like Jorginho, he does like, like the way he moves to receive the ball, it does help in games like these. So like that there is like some kind of merit to, to the idea of it. But then I kind of I imagine it in my head and I imagine kind of Jorginho and Zinchenko sitting in front of our back four as we're trying to like kind of play through the thirds and stuff. And then I imagine Newcastle getting the ball in, in transition and kind of like heading straight towards Zinchenko and Jorginho. And it feels very, very soft to me. And to me, that is a fear because at St. James Park, especially these physical battles are what Newcastle thrive for. Like they, they, they want to kind of make this into a dogfight. And uh, it, it feels like if we take the risk in putting Jorginho in and we don't have one of those games where we're really good on the ball and we kind of pen them back and we keep them kind of like kind of sucked into their 18 yard box, then it feels like we kind of give them a lot of opportunities because in transition, we know that Jorginho is a problem. We know that Zinchenko is a problem for us. So 
whilst I do think that if there is something physically wrong with party, then it doesn't make sense to put him in because a half fit party isn't going to do the job that we need him to do regardless. So you may as well go with the the guy that at least can provide the technical base that that we we can use in a, in a in a different style. But if it is just form and party is physically okay and he's just had a week off, then I would be tempted to put him back in just stylistically because I think this this, this uh, game is going to be a real kind of like man versus man, one versus one kind of fight where people are going to be whacking into each other. There's going to be like multiple yellow cards. It's going to be one of those games because I think that the energy you're going to see Arsenal go in, at least from the start, is going to be pretty stark. Like like we talk about revenge or no revenge, but it's going to be in these guys' heads. Like people like Xhaka are going to go into this game thinking what happened last season and how they're going to kind of turn that around and, and switch the opinion. So if it was my decision... And party was fit. I'd probably be inclined to pit in party, but you know, it's a it's a tough decision either way. Yeah, and Joe Linton is he, he he's the most carded player in the league and commits the most fouls in the league. I mean, so clearly that is what he's there to do. He's to to be that disruptor. And they have a lot of players who are you know really good dribbling the ball and carrying the ball. Joe Willock is one of those in midfield. They have a lot of very quick and pacey wingers. So so it's pretty obvious that what they try and do is have Joe Linton just kind of disrupt the play, give it to Bruno, and he obviously is a fantastic deep-line playmaker, can play the ball out to the wings and just break and and use their pace. And you just can't get caught. I I don't think if we play Jorginho and Zinchenko, there would need to be extra emphasis on, you know, don't get caught up in their game. They're doing all the things on purpose, you know, winding you up, getting in Granite Xhaka's head so it turns into a physical battle that they know they can win. So we just talked a little bit about, you know, should Jorginho come in and a lot of his defensive issues. And, you know, we kind of, we talked about the partnership with Zinchenko. Do you think, obviously, Zinchenko is, you know, critical to how we play? But, you know, there's no mention of maybe Zinchenko shouldn't play in this match. I'm curious if you, you know, think he is still, you know, first name on the team sheet and kind of build the tactics around him or is there any room for maybe if Thomas party isn't hurt or is injured or, you know, isn't starting to bring in a Kieran Tierney. Yes. He's obviously not as good on the ball, but you're, you're getting some of that with Jorginho, but he's much better defensively and kind of can help you know, neutralize some of their pace on out wide. It is a hard one because I think that in recent weeks we have kind of seen a lot of the frailties around Zinchenko's defending. And that is a problem. Um, it'd be stupid for us not to kind of figure out that that's a problem. But I do think that um, the, the truth is for us, with all the way we play it, it feels like when we don't have Zinchenko in that 11, we really do struggle to kind of get the ball from kind of back to front. And as much as I do like Tierney, and I think like you, you can say he's kind of suited to this game in, in some way, shape or form. If, if he was to come in, I would be a little bit afraid of, uh, where we'd kind of lose. I, I don't want it to be a game where, even though I'm very aware that we've got to go in and win the duels and try and like physically put a stamp on the game, I don't want it to just be that. There's going to be points that we're going to have to still be Arsenal. We're still going to have to play as Arsenal do. And also, when you look at it, like I'm not sure who's going to play on the wings. Like um, uh, if Jacob Murphy starts on the right again and goes up against the team, then he's not like you say he's been good since coming in, but he's not like the biggest threat. It's not someone that I'd um, be taken out one of our best technical players to to try and facilitate someone in that's better as a one versus one defender like Tierney is. But it is something that is on my mind, to be honest. And that's probably another reason why I'm a little bit more inclined to to 
favor party over Jorginho just because in my mind party and Zinchenko is that kind of pivot when we're kind of playing up through the pitch feels to me like it's a lot more steady than Jorginho Zinchenko and then even if um you're kind of thinking to go the other way like Tierney when he has played they've still asked him to kind of come into that central area and it just feels like a lot of time he's just he's a bit lost still like he's coming into that area because he's told to not because he kind of sees the picture of where he needs to be and where the ball needs to go and for me it kind of makes it pointless if uh, Tierney being in the team in that sense yeah it does seem like you know with with Thomas Party it, it seems like there's no indication that he was injured he he didn't come off because he was hurt or anything like that it, it does seem like he needed a rest and he was rested for the Chelsea match with this match in mind because of how crucial he's going to be or, or would be to being able to deal with their midfield and kind of impose our physicality on them. So I do think that it will be Thomas Party, And I also tend to agree that Zinchenko, he does have his flaws defensively, but we've seen without Zinchenko that our attack does become pretty inept and if you're relying on Thomas Partey and Granit Xhaka to be those, you know, to playing a lot deeper and being a, if you're bringing, you know, if you're bringing Granit Xhaka back to being that that deep line playmaker, then it's kind of the Granit Xhaka of old and not the Granit Xhaka of this season. Kind of mm-hmm. the downstream effects, I, I do think it's a net negative. Even if you know maybe you're a little bit more defensively solid, it's the it would be interesting to see. It? Yeah, it would be interesting to see Kieran Tierney, you know, as a future Newcastle player, uh, getting the opportunity to uh, <laughs> debut again at St. James Park. Obviously kidding there. So this weekend we saw uh, Jakob Kivior make his debut. I think we all of us on our uh, Chelsea Reaction podcast thought that he did pretty good, but obviously the caveat was that it was against Chelsea. Let's assume that Gabriel is going to play because all indications are – it. it Mikel Arteta said it was not anything muscular that he hurt his ankle, but things are trending forward. So let's assume that Gabriel is playing. Do you think that Jakub Kivior stays, or do you think Rob Holding comes back in? It's a tough one because I still think that where we haven't gone right in the last few games um, is because we've lost that that ability to win the ball kind of high up the pitch, like the getting the team to sit higher and kind of really squeeze teams. And there's going to be points against Newcastle that we can't do that. That's fair enough because they're, they have become a very good team. And as we've kind of said before, they're very, very good at home. But we still have to have that about us. And I think that Kirior was decent against Chelsea um, uh, without really being that much tested, which is obviously like a good thing and a bad thing, the kind of mystery of that. But I think that just having him in a team kind of gave us that dimension that we needed. So I would say that he'd be the um, the, the obvious choice. The, the only problem is he comes with the same problem that Holding kind of gives in the sense that because he's left-footed, he's struggling to kind of pass the ball to the right side of the pitch. And I think that's a big thing for us in this game is that when we played them at home, Saka was really roasting Dan Byrne. And that has to be kind of in my head kind of like plan number one is kind of trying to get Saka one versus one with, with Dan Byrne um, trying to get me yellow card early and then seeing how Newcastle react to that because how they reacted to it last time was they, they made uh, Jonathan kind of go back in two versus one um, uh, uh, Saka with Dan Byrne which obviously takes a play away from them when they're trying to uh, transition into some sort of attacking phase so I do think that if we can kind of get the ball up to Saka in better ways than we have done in the last few games because I do think that we've kind of lost that dimension to us uh, since Saliba's come out of the team then um, uh, 
is uh, something that can really kind of give us a kind of a good platform to hurt uh, Newcastle. As I said before, we have to we have to do what Arsenal have done this season. We have to pen them back. We have to try and uh, get the ball out to the wingers and be able to get them one versus one. Trippier is like decent defensively, but not amazing. So it's um it's down to us forcing them to get players down to support their wing backs and trying to pen them in through that way, so they're not able to counter us when they do eventually get the ball off of us. Yeah, I think the the key, I guess, if Arsenal are going to come out with three points in this match, I think it will be to impose our style, be able to more effectively impose how we want to play than Newcastle being able to impose how they want to play. I think if this turns into a track meet, if this turns into a very physical midfield battle, I am not sure that we come out on top. I think if this becomes, you know, like a, a, a very technical match where you know they are pinned back we are like you said Kyle Saka is just absolutely roasting Dan Byrne so you know Joe Linton they set up very similar to how they did at the Emirates where they packed the midfield and were just funneling everything out wide and saying if you're going to score it's going to become be off of you know a moment of brilliance uh, 1v1 or, or 1v3 at some points I think we are much better suited to play that style than you know kind of what we've been talking about because I, I guess the other midfielder that we haven't really talked about a lot so far is Martin Odegaard. And I do think he, he does, like last year against Newcastle, he does struggle in you know, very physical, uh, I guess, like midfield matchups. We've obviously been talking now for 20 minutes, kind of highlighted that this the, this match is going to be won or lost in the midfield. And we need one of the aspects of needing Thomas Party is because he has to kind of do the midfield duels you know, to compensate for Martin Odegaard because that's just not his game. And, you know, there, we're never going to, you know, switch Martin Odegaard out. You know, he's not going to not play because what he offers in the attack is far greater than any, you know, defensive, I guess, liabilities. Obviously, it, it's a little bit different in our defensive four four two shape. But yeah, it's just, I, th- I think it's going to be pretty crucial that, kind of like you say, we are able to push them back and kind of exert ourselves and force them to make adjustments rather than force us to make adjustments. Luke, do you have any last thoughts on Newcastle before we kind of transition to some uh, newsy stuff? Yeah, just, I mean, just going off what you said, I think it's, it's going to be a game that has two sides of a coin. We have to, as you said completely rightly, we have to be able to have that technical base to us. We have to be able to control the game enough to pen them back and silence the crowds. Whilst knowing that, we can't silence the same James's Park crowd for 90 minutes. There is going to be points where they get up and the team gets up and it's going to be part where it's going to be a battle. And we have to be able to kind of stand up against that in those periods and be strong enough to, to kind of get through it and then have the ability to, to kind of bring it back to our game. And as you say, like in the, in the home game, in the first 10 minutes, we completely blitz Newcastle and we forced them to change their plan of action. They, they went from thinking they could get us kind of at least slightly head on to, to, to pretty much defending for the rest of the 90 minutes. So we need an opening 10, 20 minutes that kind of puts the, the fear of death in them exactly like that. And and that will kind of mean we'll have to show the full spectrum of it because as we've seen pretty much for the whole season, teams don't really go to the same games as Park and win. Yeah, so I, I think, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think it's going to be probably pretty similar to Anfield in, in the sense of the ebb and flows that we may be on top. It's impossible to similar to Anfield, it's impossible to keep that crowd silent for 90 minutes. And kind of when you're on top, you have to capitalize. And when you, know, you kind of just need to ride the waves and be defensively solid and, you know, switched on defensively, knowing that, you know, you're not going to also then be dominated for 90 minutes. Minutes. So as the season is kind of coming to a close, 
obviously we're still very focused on the season and where we finish and, you know, the slim, slim chance of a title, but the transfer season is obviously uh, starting to heat up. And this week, the Daily Mail had an article that kind of outlined our summer plans and it's kind of been, uh, I guess, confirmed is the wrong word. Uh, talked about with uh, other outlets have said we have 150 million pounds to work with. And so the Daily Mail reported that our summer plans include a, a center back, defensive midfielder, and uh, a versify, versatile forward are targeted first. Luke, kind of what are your thoughts about those three positions being where you know, we you know, plan to spend the bulk of our money and then we'll kind of get a little bit into different players? Yeah, I think it ties in a lot to what we're talking about just now, really, like where we're going into probably one of the most physical away games we're going to have over the course of the whole season. And the the question is still, Jorginho, our party, kind of shows that we're kind of thin in the area. And um, when you're kind of considering someone like Jorginho for this game, quite rightly because he just come off a good game against Chelsea, then it does show that he probably needs more physical answers in, in that area. Like we like you spoke about Martin Odegaard, who is technically superb, but like in these big away games can, you know, need to lean on other players at this point. Granite Xhaka, who has been really, really fantastic this season, but you know, he's coming into his thirties now and um it's kind of it's gonna be on like the wind down of of I still expect us to play a lot of games. I think that's probably the main thing that we have to concede is that next season we're going into the Champions League. Like there's gonna be a lot of games and we're gonna need an entire squad's worth of players and if we have similar to now where um uh, even though I think in a lot of areas we've dealt with injuries very well, where like um, earlier in the season, we dealt with Zinchenko coming out like decently well when Tommy Asu was coming in and things like that. And then when Gabriel Jesus came out for a couple of months, we dealt with that decently well. But it just still felt like even though we dealt with it well, we weren't playing anywhere near optimally like we were at the start of the season. And um, one of the big things now is where the midfield is now becoming a bit thin we're starting to kind of have those questions. So when you're getting linked to the the Declan Rices of the world and the Moises Caicedo's of the world, you're looking at these um, uh, physical profiles, people that have Premier League experience and are kind of rugged in those battles, but also have that kind of technical um, out kind of spectrum where they can get the ball, they can carry the ball, they can play the ball through thirds. So it kind of like also kind of fits that Arsenal template. And then I think... The, the fact that Saliba has been out for a month and it just feels like it's kind of been like a really killer blow to us kind of shows that we need another defender, especially because kind of Arteta has gone against like one of the, the probably most common Arteta commandments, which is left footed center back on the left, right foot center back on the right. He's kind of felt the needs to put them um, kind of go left foot, left foot, uh, which kind of shows we need to get um, a right footed center back that has that ability to play, but also has that kind of recovery pace that Curia has that, that we can kind of play higher up the pitch and press higher up the pitch because that has become such a mainstay of Arsenal. And then when you're looking at the forward line, it just, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what we need to look for, but it does feel like we're lacking Saka depth, to be honest. It still feels to me like every game you're looking at Saka as, as a dead cert starter. And if he's not a dead cert starter, you've probably got a few question marks over the guy that's coming to play his specific position. Um, there was obviously a lot of links of, Arsenal wanting a bigger physical striker as an option there and I think that would be quite good as well like like if you could imagine like if we had like an Ivan Tony, and I'm not kind of using that as a specific name but just uh, like a like a bigger physical striker if, if you had if we had an Ivan Tony and we were thinking that we had him in a team right now and we could put him in in a game for Newcastle like, like Newcastle away then in your head you'd think that kind of suits the game you can kind of see why you do that and that's not me saying that we should drop Gabby Jesus it just means that 
we have like another option for these games, whether that's to start or come off the bench. So I do think that going into the Champions League, the fact that we've kind of progressed so much further than anyone thought we were going to progress this season, it does mean that we're in the the brilliant but also kind of unfortunate situation that we need numbers and we need quality, which is something that usually comes with a big, big uh, price tag. Um, so, it, you know, I think that this could be our last summer of truly quite big spending before the club probably says we need to kind of make some of this money back, which is probably going to be from the Champions League, which is obviously fantastic. But I do think that the way we're spending right now, even though we're going in Champions League, is, is, is not something that is really uh, sustainable. So um, I think that we really need to kind of pick the targets well. So it kind of bodes well that over the last kind of season or two, Arteta and Edu have been pretty good in that regard. Yeah, if I had to look at, you know, what do I want to see at the end of the summer, big picture wise, if we're sitting in August, you know, the deadline day, I think the kind of going back to last year, I, I made this point earlier that we, we ended the season knowing that our starting 11 was good enough to qualify for the Champions League or, you know, finish top four. But over, you know, we didn't have the 15, 16, you know, players that were of that same quality kind of fixed a little bit of that a little bit of that depth this year but now you know we're still seeing that that our ta- our starting 11 is definitely good enough to win and challenge for a title but our overall squad is not you know last summer we went up a level this summer i think you know yes maybe the expectation is not going to be oh, we better win the title next year but i think the expectation will be that we're in a similar place in terms of challenging we're playing meaningful matches you know with the title in mind in the end stages of the, uh, stages of the season that comes from building into the squad depth. Obviously, like you said, with Champions League, we're, we're going to have to use that squad depth. And if there's one word I think I would use for any player that Arteta has and Edu have recruited, I guess two words would be technical and versatile. That, you know, speaking of Declan Rice, every, already there's all these talks about is Declan Rice a six? Is he an eight? Would he, would he be Thomas Party a replacement? Would he be a Grant Jacques replacement? I think in reality, he'd probably be, be there, you know, be coming in to do both. And that's great. Looking at you know Amusa Diaby, who is somebody that we are heavily linked for, play can play on the left, can play on the right. That would you know obviously is very technical, and I think that would be a great addition to you know not only you know have somebody to to give Bukayo Saka a rest, but also with Martinelli, we he he is the only you know wide forward that really has that like uh, I guess chaos factor and, and pace factor, and bringing in another player like that would be really important. We obviously saw have seen how important Chirassard has been for Arsenal this year because he can play across five, six positions within our team. So I think really, you know, just obviously it is it's early to like, you know, go in on specific names. What do you think of these players? What do you think of that those players? There's plenty of time to talk about that. But I think, you know, of all the players that we're going to be looking at, I think if they have a high le- technical ability, that's going to be you know, essential and versatility, I think is even even more important than a technical ability. I can't. I don't think there's any player really other than maybe Thomas Party and Martin Odegaard that can only play in the position that they're at. Even our center backs, probably, <laughs> you probably not. I guess our center backs, but like Ben White, you know, our right backs can play center back if he needs to. So yeah, I, I think you know, Luke. Do you have any last comments on kind of big picture transfer? Anything that you would really like to see as we kind of transition away from the season? in the next couple of weeks yeah to be fair i mean I, I echo a lot of what you said to be fair i think that as fans a lot of the time we we kind of look at it maybe a little bit too simplistically where we're kind of looking at it as if we, we just look at the starting 11 and we're kind of thinking we want this guy here and this guy here but obviously the the football team changes and evolves and it happens a lot 
like differently than we'd ever really kind of predict. Like I'm sure most people wouldn't have predicted that Saliba would have come into the teams like pretty much from preseason onwards and become such a mainstay. Um, even though we knew he had the talent, like um, it's still unexpected. And the fact that um, even the people that I guess would have expected that would have assumed that would mean Ben White would have dropped completely to the bench, but he's become one of the league's best right backs over the course of the season. So whilst I do think that when you're talking about people like Declan Rice, like he could come in and play mostly six or he could come in and maybe he's the earmarked as the guy to replace Shaq. I think that we do have to look at Arsenal this season and not assume it's going to be the Arsenal of next season because, you know, this time last season, if I told you that we were going to sign Zinchenko and he was going to play literally as a central midfielder, most people probably wouldn't have understood that. There was a point a couple of seasons ago where Xhaka played the the same role, but because he wasn't seen as a left back, people didn't really like understand it or like it. But um, Arteta used to say that statistically we're actually better when Xhaka plays there. But at that point, we didn't really understand why he was there. But now when you see Zinchenko doing it, of course, for season, you think this is why he's doing it. This is that. This is the why. Um, he wanted someone there that could come into that central zone. Um, so, yeah, I think that the big picture is that we made little but important signs last summer in people like Zinchenko and Jesus. Um, uh, and it took us up a level, just that, because we also kind of developed players we already have. And when we have the second youngest squad in the league, I think that you can expect Zach to get better and Martinez to get better and Odegaard to get better and things like that. And still kind of expect that if we get maybe two or three big players, then we can go up to that next level. Because as you said, last season, our first squad was good enough to get top four, but the squad wasn't this season. First squad was good enough to get um, a, like a, a title challenge, but the, the squad wasn't. But the squad was good, good enough to get top four. So it shows that we're making those strides forwards. And um, uh, to be fair, as long as Arteta is kind of building it like he has been, where he's building it, with an idea of the team he wants rather than just quality of players overall, then I have a lot of confidence in that. Yep, I definitely completely agree with that, and I think that is a good place to wrap things up. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. You can find Luke on Twitter at EchoCoon. We will be back Sunday after our showdown at St. James's Park. Erdogan is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! Bakayo Saka, beaten out by Lloris, and touched in by Jesus! Bakayo Saka! Oh,